0: Grab your Bibles. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts that we're calling The Church, where we learn from the, the first church. And then we take those lessons, we apply it to our church, so that way we can be the church that God has called us to be. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We are in Acts chapter 12. And we're going to look at what happens when a church prays. So while you are finding your place, let me open up with a announcement and a story. First announcement is on February 25th, we will be having baptism Sunday. Who loves baptisms? Yeah, normally we would only do about three baptisms a year, but because there's so many people who are needing to get baptized, our church is growing, people are experiencing life change through So we're going to have to increase the frequency of baptisms. And so now we'll be doing baptisms every other month as a church. So we're doing baptisms on February 25th. If you have yet to be baptized, what you waiting for, go online, RedemptionTX.com, click that events tab, sign up for baptisms uh, today. So with that being said, we're going to dive into the message. Let me tell you a story about the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London during the 1800s. It was actually one of the first mega churches before they had air conditioners and microphones and all of that. Uh, There was a church led by a man named Charles Spurgeon, who many affectionately know today as the Prince of Preachers, probably the greatest theologian pastor after the Protestant Reformation. He's a, a really big deal. And the church, it just grew and had a famous reputation. So there was two young men who were visiting from out of town and they wanted to see the Metropolitan Tabernacle for themselves. They heard about it, but they wanted to see it. And so they got before to church a little bit early and they wanted to take a tour. And so when they walked in, they were met by a big burly man with a beard and he offered to take them to a tour. But he said, I want to show you the boiler room. They're like, that's weird. We don't really want to see that. Like, we, we don't want to go down to the basement and see the boiler room. But he did take them on a tour anyway, and he showed them, you know, the sanctuary. He showed them the, the balcony, the vestry, the, the, the lobby, or if you're fancy, the foyer or the foyer, right? So he showed them all that. I just imagine that's what they called it in London, the foyer, right? Uh, and so at the end of the tour, church was about to start. The man said, I really want to show you the boiler room. And they thought, this is weird. He said, he's very persistent. and said, this is where the power comes from in the church and down in the boiler room. So they're like, all right, fine. Take us to the boiler room. So they go down the basement and they go and they open the doors. And all of a sudden, when they opened the doors of the boiler room, they saw 500 people on their knees interceding praying before the church service ever began and the man who met them at the door was Charles Spurgeon himself and he said boys you got to understand the power of the church comes from when the church learns to pray Do you believe that prayer moves the hand of God? Do you believe that God loves to respond and answer to prayers? Do you believe that the church will receive power when the spirit of God comes upon it and we are to pray together as a church? And so today we're going to talk about the power of a praying church because, you know, when we pray as a church, the church, it begins to experience the power that God always intended for the church to have. Like if you want to see the church grow, if you want to see lives change, if you want to be healthy and strong and effective in ministry of what God's called us to do, that only happens when the church prays. See, for me, when I entered into planting redemption, like I had been to all the conferences, I read all the books, I even helped coach at some of the conferences. And when people would, would think about church growth, it was always tied to something that, that we could do. What's our next step? What's our, what's our process? What's the plans that we, we have? And you know, for the longest time, I thought, man, if we had better marketing, if we had better advertising, if we had better Instagram and just a better logo, if we had more pop signs at the parking lot, then maybe our church would be able to grow. And then I realized that those things are good things, but they are not the most important things. Because what makes a church grow is not marketing, but miracles. It's not the advertising. It's the anointing of God, this finger upon that church. It, it, it's not the preaching, which even though you can tell I love preaching, it's not the it's not the worship team. It's not Redemption Kids in the next gen, even though that is important. It's not the most important because without prayer, the church lacks power. Without prayer, the preaching is, is, is it has no power behind it. Without prayer, there's no presence of God in the next gen where your kiddos are learning about Jesus. It, it, without prayer... It, The worship doesn't usher in the presence of God to meet and dwell with us in this place. Without prayer, the church is ineffective. But with prayer, anything is possible for a church. Do you believe that God moves in the church when the church begins to pray? But this isn't just for their church, but we see this all throughout church history. In the 1700s, there was a a church in uh, Germany. They were called the Moravians. And they started a prayer meeting and that prayer meeting led to a revival that transformed Germany during that time. And that prayer meeting started and it continued for a hundred years. Night and day for a hundred years, that church never stopped praying and God moved in mighty ways. The the, the second great awakening here in America, the, the best revival that America's ever seen. Thousands of people are getting saved all across the Northeast. And one of the more prominent figures was an evangelist named Charles Finney. And Charles Finney would show up and preach open air sermons in the middle of a field and thousands of people would give their lives to Jesus, transformed the entire region, so much so that a lot of the bars and the, the, the whorehouses and all of the different brothels and stuff, they actually closed down. People wouldn't go anymore and people got upset. They're like, hey, we can't even run our business because there was such a disdain for sin because so many people had met Jesus and their lives had been changed. They just had to shut everything down because of a revival that broke out. But listen, it wasn't Charles Finney. It was a man named Daniel Nash. Before Finney would go anywhere, they would send Daniel Nash and he would start a prayer meeting. He would find a church that would open its doors to allow prayer to happen. And when, when, when Daniel Nash found a church that prayed, revival took place. But if he would go into a town and there wouldn't be a church that would pray, God wouldn't move people wouldn't get saved. That's the power when a church prays. And then probably one of the greatest missionary movements the world has ever known, started 100 years ago, led by a man named uh, William Seymour. William Seymour was a black man in Houston, but during segregation, he was not allowed to gather with the church to pray. He was actually kicked out of a church in Houston. And so he decided he was gonna move to Los Angeles And he started a prayer meeting that was integrated, you know, all races, ethnicities, genders. And in this prayer meeting, they gathered and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then the Spirit of God showed up. As miracles started happening in the greatest missionary movement the world has ever seen, the Assemblies of God was born. And now we have missionaries that you support with us all across the world, every tribe, tongue, nation, planting churches locally and globally all around the world. Why? Because the church got together and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And when the church prayed, that's when God's power showed up. It happens when the church prays. Here's what you need to know, is that prayer gives you access to a power you don't possess. Like on your own, you can't do it, but with God, all things are possible. Like the things that you're hoping and believing and praying for, it only happens when we pray because prayer is the difference between the best that we can do and the best that God can do. It is prayer when it takes the natural and turns it into supernatural. When the church prays, it experiences God's power that it wouldn't normally experience if it didn't first pray. Like, do you wanna see God move? It happens when you pray. Do you want to see God show up in might? It happens when you pray. Do you want to see revival across Southeast Texas where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus? It happens when we pray. Do we want to see Beaumont where it becomes revival sweeps off and poverty is eradicated, addictions would be broken, that marriages would be restored, that, 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 that depression would be lifted off of people? Do you want to see the seat next to you filled with somebody that you invited and they raise their hands and give their lives to Jesus? like, do you want to go to a church where the baptism tank never runs empty and the altars are already full? Do you want to go to a church from the parking lot to the pulpit? People say, God is in this place. Well, it doesn't happen if you don't pray. Because prayer gives you access to a power that you don't possess. It happens when the church prays. And so what we're going to see today in Acts is we're going to see a prayer meeting. And we're going to look at what God does in that early church when the church decides to pray. Now listen, this is important because we have to distinguish the difference between personal prayers and corporate prayers. Because many of us, we have a a personal prayer. We're like, I don't need to go to a prayer meeting. Like I just pray to God in my car. I got a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to the prayer meeting. I don't need other people. Just me and Jesus, right? But listen, Because we have focused so much over the last 30 years on the personal relationship with Jesus, which is great, you you need to have one. If you don't have one, let us pray for you. We'll get you saved and baptisms on the 25th. Get one, right? But when it's only me and Jesus, we miss out on what God is doing all around us. Because there is is private prayer and then there is corporate prayer. Let, Let me show you the difference. The difference between a solo and a symphony. Like when you're on your own, you're, you're praying. It's beautiful, right? That's like a solo, like just just you and Jesus, and it's it's beautiful. But when we come together and pray, when you come. And you, and you join us and, and then you pray and you, you come in and then your past and your background, and your experience and your faith and your heart and your hope meets with theirs. And then all of a sudden there is a crescendo that happens in the church. And we go from playing solos to playing symphonies that catches heaven's attention that people on the outside look in and they say, wow, what is God doing in that place? It's the difference between a solo and a symphony. That's what happens when the church prays together. And so if I could encourage you First Wednesday is the prayer meeting. Make it a point to prioritize prayer because everything we see God do in this church, it really flows from that first Wednesday prayer meeting. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you in the Bible what God does when the church prays. So here's the first thing that God does. You, the church experiences God's, God's peace. Look, look what happens in this story. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And then he seized them. He put them in prison, delivering them over four squads of soldiers. So four squads of soldiers. That's going to come in really handy later in the message. Pay attention. Pay attention intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but Ernest Paris was made to him, uh, made to God by the church. Here we go. We're having a little flashback. In order for me to understand the text, what we say at Redemption, you have to understand the context. And so we're not just picking and choosing verses; we actually just preach through books of the Bible and let the chips fall through their may. So we are in Acts chapter twelve. So we've been in Acts since last Easter, and we'll be in Acts until Jesus comes back, or we finish the new building, whichever one comes first. Um, hopefully, uh, we get into this building before the day of the Lord. All right. So we're in Acts, and what we've seen in Acts is that the church grows. Jesus says that you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. We've seen Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then last week we saw the beginning of the ends of the earth with the church in Antioch. We'll meet them again next week. And the way the church grew was always through persecution. So they're being arrested, beaten, thrown in prison. We see Stephen is is killed. They're no longer safe at home. They have to scatter across all of the region. And everywhere they go, they keep telling people about Jesus. And last week closed with Paul and Barnabas going back to Jerusalem with the tithes to be able to bring a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. When they arrive, persecution is still happening. And the persecution's got so intense now where we see James is actually murdered. So question, who is the characters in the story we're reading today. Well, the first person we meet is James. He was an apostle. He was one of Jesus's disciples. And he later became a leader in the early church as well. He walked with Jesus for three years. He's been there since the very beginning. That's James. And he's he's murdered. He's run through with a sword. Church history tells us actually beheaded. And then we see Peter, he's the leader of the apostles, he's the pastor of the first church, preaches Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved, the church is born, that's that's Peter, right? We've got to know Peter really well over the last several messages. But who's Herod? Now, if you're a student of the Bible, then you've come across the name Herod many times, and you wonder, how does he keep showing up all the time? Like, how is he here and there and there, and like, how does he, actually, there's a lot of Herods. Herod is what is called a tetrarch. Because he was not a real king, because Israel was actually occupied by Rome. They were still slaves or sojourners. They didn't have true freedom at that time. They were not their own nation. So Caesar, the ruler over Rome, he placed him there as a governor to be able to make sure that no riots or insurrections would break out, keep the peace, let there not be any problems. So that's what the Herods were. I have a chart to show you all the different Herods in the Bible. Uh, The first Herod is Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who killed all the babies trying to kill baby Jesus. So when you read Matthew, the slaughter of the innocents, that's this guy's grandpa. Well, then we see another Herod. This is the guy who killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist was like, hey, you shouldn't sleep with your brother's wife. And he was like, no. And then John the Baptist was like, that's nasty. And then they killed him. Um, if you want to listen to the full sermon, you can find it. It's in the Gospel of Mark series. So enjoy because uh, two families left our church over it. So um, you might be able to get something out of it too. All right. Um, and then later we're going to meet another Herod where it says uh, he's the one that Paul preaches to in Rome before Paul's killed. But this is Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa, he loved royalty. He was bougie, right? And so what he would do is he would go to Rome all the time and he'd rub elbows with all of the the really important, impressive, bougie people all the time. And he had a loud mouth and he was always talking. He might've been the king of Israel, but he was actually just a drama queen. That's what he was. Because he would go around and he would say, Tiberius is Caesar, I think Caligula should be the Caesar. And he started kind of running his mouth, telling everybody that I wish Tiberius was dead and Caligula was the Caesar. Now, do you know who Caligula is? He is known as the mad tyrant of Rome, probably the most brutal outside of Nero of any of the Caesars they had. Like he slept with all of his sisters, killed all of his brothers and then put a horse in the Senate. That's how crazy this guy was. Well, Tiberius uh, mysteriously dies six months later. Tiberius actually throws Herod in prison and then dies and then Caligula becomes the emperor, and in order for what, what, what Caligula does is he sets Herod free because of all the different politicking that he did for him, and he gives him more land than his grandfather had, Herod the Great. He also gives him a gold chain, the size of the weight of the chains that he wore while he's in prison, and then placed him back over Israel with one job, and that was to kill the Christians. That was his job. And so, so far in Acts, what we've seen is that Saul is persecuting the Christians from a religious standard, and now we know that Herod is the one who is allowing this to happen from a political point. But either way, on both sides, there is persecution that is happening, so much so that James died and now Peter, their pastor, is once again arrested and thrown into prison. And this is why it says right here, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to throw Peter in prison also. Now, here's here's my question for you. When you are suffering, when you are hurting, where do you run? Put yourself in that position of the early church. Your pastor's in prison. Your friend has been murdered. You've lost your home and your livelihood. Everything has been taken away from you. What do you do in that moment? Do you run from God? Do you blame God? Do you deconstruct your faith? And do you, do you try to start pointing the fingers at everybody? And you blame your church and you blame the leadership. Do you run from God or do you run to God? When you're hurting, when you're suffering, what do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn? Do you run to numb your problems? Do you run to escape your problems? Do you try to justify your behavior and actions in the midst of it? Or do you take that pain and go to God with the pain? What does the church do? It says, look what it says. It says, earnest prayer for him was made on behalf of the church. The church didn't run from God in their pain. They ran to God, and in the middle of their pain, God met them, and God gave them peace. Peace to continue, peace to move forward, peace to make it through the day. In the middle of their pain, they gathered around, and God met them in that moment, and he blessed them with peace. Don't run from God in your pain, run to God. What we read about in Acts is what many therapists and psychologists would say a compound trauma. It's not where one thing happens. It's where dozens of things happen and they all culminate and build on top of each other. It'd be very similar you know, And an example is if you get in a car crash, you get injured, now there's the pain and the PTSD of the crash and then you lose your job and now your finances are shot and then your family starts falling apart and now all of a sudden you and your spouse are fighting and then it leads to a divorce all because of the one single event. It was that one event that triggered multiple events, that's what we read in the book X, compound trauma. And it, and it fulfills and culminates in something that is known as grief. Now grief is a weird emotion. We don't really know what to do with grief. Because we can't really just single it out because on one day you're angry, the next day you're sad, one day you're accepting it, the next day you're denying it, and all these things can happen in the same day. It's the strangest emotion and feeling, and and so many of us, we, we try to process grief when what we should do and could do is go to God in prayer, Because because oftentimes what we do is we we call the phone, we try to figure we call somebody, we try to figure something out we we try to find our way through it and we're processing, but processing pain without praying to God is not actually just helping you heal, it's producing grief and worse, anxiety and fear and, and trauma, reliving the worst days of your life over and over again. But when we process our pain with God, then we experience God's peace, His presence His goodness, His grace for us, even in the middle of that situation. Here's how I put in your notes to grieve is human but to to lament is christian lamenting is a form of prayer i bet you didn't know that right it's a form of prayer where you go to god with your pain and your hurt and your bitterness and your anger and your questions and your doubts and you go to god and say god i don't know why and i don't know what's going on and i am hurting and i'm suffering and i'm turning to you and my pain and my problem that's lamenting but we're not good at lamenting. We're not good at at, at processing pain, especially processing pain with God in prayer. See, at the church I grew up in, if something was hard, they just said, pray harder, (laughs) right? I mean, you're not seeing the walls fall down, march around Jericho one more time, right? But there's some times where you don't have an answer. You don't have a next step. You don't have anything you could do. You could just get alone with God and just just say, God, I am hurting right now. And that's when God steps in and brings peace. To lament is is human. To grieve is human. Everyone is going to grieve regardless of what they believe about God, but what you believe about God will change the way you grieve. There was a man I was talking to several years ago when we started the prayer meetings, and uh, he, he just told me, he's like, I don't like praying. And I was like, why? He's like, I'm so angry at God. I just can't, I can't pray. I can't bring myself to pray. And so he's got so much bitterness and anger. And if I go pray to him, I'm just gonna yell at him. And I'm like, go ahead and yell at him. He's like, I can do that? I was like, well, I mean, like, he's big enough to take it. He said, well, I don't want God to know that I feel that way. I was like, bro, God already knows. (laughs) Like, there is nothing you could say to God where he'd be like, oh my me? I didn't know. No, God knows. He wants you to come to him anyway. Despite the pain and the hurts and the, the hardships and the difficulties, he, he wants you to bring that to him because it's in that pain that you experience the peace that passes all understanding. When the church prays, we, we get to see God's peace like we wouldn't normally experience in different situations. Which leads to the second thing, is God's, God's presence. Watch what, watch what happens here. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, I'm gonna read to you the most crazy miracle you're gonna read in all of the book of Acts, okay? But before then, I just wanna show you this. Uh, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, centuries before the doors were the guarding the prison. So we see four guards, two chains, and then now the prison door is locked, and it's nighttime, it's dark. He's waiting for certain death coming the very next day. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He shrugged Peter on the side and woke him up saying, "Get up quickly." Now, you're going to see a lot of miracles, and I'm going to walk you through each one of them. But before we do that, I need you to to look at this. Peter is in prison. It's night. It's dark. He's chained to two guards, prison cell locked, more guards on the outside of the prison cell. And what is Peter doing in that prison? Is he freaking out? Is he, is he worried? Is he, is he pacing back and forth? Oh, no, I know he's going to get me this time. I've been in jail four times already, but this is going to be the one. They already killed James. They're coming for me. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just so terrible. It's just, it's so bad. I just don't know what to do. I'm just so scared. And then all of a sudden he's hyperventilating and he's passing out. What, what is he doing? He's sleeping. Can you sleep in the storms of life? Like, do you, do you, are you so confident in the character and the goodness and the love of God that even in the middle of the storms, you can still be asleep? I wonder if Peter's thinking about the boat whenever he was with Jesus and the storms were raging all around and he ran up to Jesus and said, do you not care that we're gonna die? And then Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still. And the waves were calm. And in that moment, he realized that just like Jesus, there may be a storm raging around inside of me, outside of me, but there is a calm that God is producing on the inside of me and I can be in a prison and still have God's presence. See, so many people think that God's presence is at the prayer meeting, and it is. But you think, I, I, you gotta, if I want to get in God's presence, i got to be at the prayer meeting. Can I just tell you that God is not only here on a Wednesday, he's here on a Sunday, and he's with you on a Tuesday morning. Yes. You can experience his presence in the prayer meeting, and you can experience his presence in the prison. Like so many of us, we want to be on the mountaintop. Oh, but he is with you down in the valleys. We want to calm storm sea but he is with us in the middle of the storm we want to walk in the light but it is the light that shines in the darkness it is his presence with us i love the bible verse where it says though i walk through the valley that shadow he will bring me around the valley right we love that verse he will bring me over the valley of shadow of death no what does it say he will bring me through it Because it says, even though I walk through the valley, he will be with me. Thy rod and staff, it comforts me. We love the verse that says, when Jesus says this, in this world, you might have troubles. Maybe. Hypothetically. Once upon a time, somebody did. So there's variables to this, right? What does he say? He says, in this world, you will have troubles troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Listen, peace is not the absence of trouble. It is God's presence with you in the middle of it. That's peace. Peace is not when there are no problems. Peace is when there are problems and you are still in the presence of God. That's peace. Peace is when you are right with God, even when everything goes wrong, because the safest place for you is in the will of God. Though the storms rage around you, there is a peace that is happening inside of you. It is the peace that passes all understanding, and it only comes when we pray. God's presence meets us, and right now, there are some of you, you are in a prison moment. I don't know the situation, I don't know the circumstance, I don't know the season, but you are chained to two guards with two guards on the outside, and there is a wall between you and your destiny. I don't know what it is, what, what's going on, but I can tell you that he is with you in that prison. He say, but that situation looks so bleak and so dark. He's with you in that prison. He's with you in that broken relationship. He's with you when he's struggling with your kids. He's with you in that doctor diagnosis. He's with you when you got two bills to pay, but you can only afford one. He's with you in those moments. I'm telling you, there's a presence of God available in the prison you won't experience. <laughs> unless you turn to him. And trust him and and rest, rest in his presence, even when you're in a prison. I know that there's people in prisons because you you tell us about them. You know, in the lobby, so many of y'all, y'all walk through. I I say it all the time because I want you to get this as a church. We're a a family. It's not just you and Jesus, but there's brothers and sisters in this place. And we walk through the lobby and we just walk past everybody but we have no we have no understanding of the prison people are in or the battle that they're in or the fight that they're facing. But we have prayer cards. Can I see these? Every first Wednesday we we pray over these. So 141 prayer cards filled out last month. It's 141 people who are suffering right now in our church. In some regards physical, relational, mental health, finances. 141 people took the time to say, I am hurting, please pray for me. They're in a prison. And that first Wednesday, what we do every first Wednesday is we come together to pray. And I stand right up here and I hold this card up. And I say, church, stretch out your hands and let's pray. For 10 minutes or so, the whole church, we just, we just pray for the needs. I'm going to let you guys know, like, there are people who call redemption home who are grieving and hurting and in pain. And they need you to pray for them. That's why the prayer meeting is so important because then so we, we find God's presence in a beautiful way. Number three, it's, it's provision. Watch what God does here. This is, this is fascinating. Here's, here's the miracle, right? Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. Boom, from darkness to light, angel shows up. Ha! He struck Peter on the side. Like he didn't go, hey, Peter. Wakey, wakey. He struck him. The text indicates that he actually kicked Peter, right? Oh, what an angel. Oh, my gosh. He said, get up, put your clothes on. We got to go. Dress yourself in your sandals. And Peter said, yes, sir. And it said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So now listen to this. He went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done, that the angel was real. He thought it was all a dream because he thought he was seeing a vision. And following down the angel down, um, down the hall in the prison, okay? So the gates are open. The chains have fallen off. He's got an angel. He's wrapped in a cloak. And then all of a sudden, they walk past not one, but two guards. And then he shows up to the gates, and the gates opened on their own accord. So how is that, how is that possible? Well, like, do you remember a few weeks ago when Philip... Teleported? Now we have a story of invisibility. God hid him from his enemies. God will hide you to protect you, to comfort you, to cover you. God will go before you and he will make a way in the situation that you are in. God is your source of provision. He will provide for you, make a way for you, even when it doesn't seem like it's impossible with God. Anything is possible. It opened for him on their own accord. The chains fell off. The gates are open wide. And then he went alongside the street and immediately the angel left. Poof, angel's gone. Peter came to himself and said, now I am sure that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people that were expected. Listen, God delivered him straight up. He was in chains, now he is free. He was in darkness, then he was in light. The gates of of the prison cell, they opened wide before him and he walked through freely. Why? Because God provided for him. This is what happens when we pray. Question, how did Peter get himself out of that prison? Did he argue his way out of it? Did he fight his way out of it? He prayed his way out of it. Some of you, you're in that prison moment and you're trying to figure out how do I get out of this? And you've been trying everything in your own might, in your own understanding, in your own wisdom. You've been trying to make things happen on your own efforts. But can I tell you that there is a power that happens when you pray, that when you pray, God, he makes a way for you. You don't have to figure it out. You could pray your way through that moment. When you pray, God makes a way. You don't just sit there and say, how do I get out of these chains? You pray and God makes a way where the chains are broken and the doors are open and there is a light in the dark. And you pray and you pray and you pray, and God makes a way for you in your life. Say, I don't know how this marriage is gonna recover. Pray. You say, I don't know how I'm gonna financially afford you. Pray. I'm overworked. I'm extended. I am broken. Well, you pray and you watch what God's going to do. Watch what God does in the next gen when a church learns to pray for the future. Watch what God does in a city when a church learns to pray for revival. When you pray, God, he makes a way for you. Where man says it is impossible, God says, watch me. God makes a way when the church prays. Whatever it is that you're struggling with going through, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you that there is a power that breaks chains and opens doors. Story continues, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, more on him next week. That's why I love preaching through the books of the Bible. I don't have to preach everything in one week. My sermons would be a lot longer, amen. Where many were gathered together, y'all didn't laugh, I know. (laughs) We got next steps at two, so I'll hurry up. And when he knocked on the door in the gateway, the servant girl named Rhoda, she answered, recognizing Peter's voice In her joy, she did not open the gate. Thanks, Rhoda. Um, (laughs) She ran away and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to him, listen, Rhoda's like, hey, Peter's out of prison. And here's what they say, you are out of your mind. (laughs) But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. They're arguing, does God answer prayer or not? But Peter continued knocking Peter's like, "Uh, just got out of prison with a miraculous angel, hurry up and open this door. (laughs) He just kept knocking, anybody there? (laughs) And they saw him and they were amazed. It's a miracle. But motioning with them into the hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and he went to another place. It's a crazy story, right? It's a crazy story about what God does when the church, church prays. I know that there's some of you in this room where you've been, you've been to the first Wednesday, you've been in a prayer meeting, you know the power of prayer. And you're like, pastor, you don't have to convince me anymore. I am already ready to pray. I came prayed up, filled up, ready to pour out, open up these altars. Let me come down. Give me some of that anointing oil. And I'm going to lay hands on people in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost, right? You got to say it like that. You come from a charismatic church. We ain't just got the Holy Spirit up in here. We got the Holy Ghost, okay? You'd be like, shoulda bought a Honda, but instead you bought a Kia, come on. Glory, hallelujah, sock it to you, church. Um, That's the church I I come from. So you're you're ready to pray. Just open up these altars. Let's do business with God. Others of you, not so much. Others of you, you're more like the the, the people who, they, they say, you are out of your mind. Some of you are really worried because as we've been studying through the book of Acts, you're like, Pastor, you're getting like too into this prayer stuff. Like you're, you're, you're getting too into the Holy Spirit. Like you keep talking about like miracles and stuff and healings and and super. I just, I don't want you to get people's hopes up. You know, because I believe that God can answer prayer, but just because he can doesn't mean that he will. And if you keep talking and helping people pray, then God forbid God doesn't answer some of their prayers. Some of you are like this. You're like, you are out of your mind because you're more skeptic by nature. And, and I know you're smart. And so you've already been reading through this and you've already come to this question. You're like, well, cool for Peter, but why did James still die? Did God love Peter more than James. How come James still had to die? Were they not praying for James? How come James died and Peter got to live? That's not fair. So maybe God does answer prayer. Maybe God doesn't. Maybe God could do it for for somebody else, but he's not gonna do it for me. I I wanna tell you wholeheartedly from the bottom of my heart, I I believe that God answers 100% of every prayer that has ever prayed. He may not like the way he answers it, but that doesn't mean he didn't answer it. Remember, we are supposed to pray, not my will, but your will be done. And so God answers, but he answers like a, a father does. The disciples ask Jesus, they say, teach us how to pray. And the first thing Jesus says is, pray like this, our father. I'm a dad, any dads in the room? Look around the room, come on dads. Hey, let's give it up for the men in the church. <laughs> Doing the best thing you could do, raising your kids in the house of the Lord, leading your family. Thank you for that. I'm a, I'm a dad. I got two beautiful little girls. They're seven and four years old. And one thing I can tell you about raising girls is they talk a lot. Just da, 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 all the time. Like Esther, all the time. She's like, Daddy, can I tell you something? Daddy, can I tell you something? Daddy. And I'm just like, No. <laughs> you cannot. You can just stop talking and she doesn't she still talks right I try to like ignore I hide from my kids anybody else nobody I got one guy telling the truth over there thank you thank you to the ladies thank you to the ladies Um, now God is not a dad like me God is a good father a heavenly father that's why I haven't taught a parenting series since we started redemption right Um, but God is God is a father But as a dad, I know that I always answer my kids, and I answer them in one of three ways. I say yes, no, and later. So if if my daughters come to me and say, hey, Daddy, can we snuggle? What do I say? Absolutely. Yes, always. If they say, Daddy, can we go to the park at midnight unsupervised and light fireworks? What's the answer? No. What's wrong with you? If my daughters come to me and say, Daddy, can I drive your car? What's the answer? Later. In 10 years. When you get a job and buy one yourself, right? (laughs) Yes, no, and later. This is how God answers our prayers. Sometimes God says yes. In an instant, a miracle happens. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says later but I want to encourage you, for those of you who are, are struggling with this, that even when God says no, he says no because he wants something better for you. God's no doesn't mean no, it just means a better yes is on this way because God is protecting you. Sometimes God says no because he has something better in store for you later down the line and he's actually protecting you Because God knows you better than you know yourself, and God loves you more than you even understand. And then this idea of later. See, some people, they pick up a fence for James, but James still died. But this is why it's important to to read the whole Bible. Because when you read the whole Bible, you understand that God didn't tell James no. God told James later because James was actually God prophesied through Jesus, James' death, all the way back in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus had been preparing James for years about him giving his life. Look what the text says. Up on the screens, I'll I'll throw it up here. Matthew 20, 23. James and his brother John come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand in glory? And how does James say, Jesus replies by saying, can you drink from the cup that I'm able to drink? What is that? That's the cup of his suffering. That's the cup of of Jesus' death. Jesus says, are you willing to die? And they say, we are able. And then here's how Jesus responds to him. You will drink from my cup. Jesus prophesied James' death back in Matthew chapter 20. James was not afraid. James was not worried. James was not scared. He was prepared because God had been working in his heart and life through that entire time. So don't pick up any offense for James because James was living in the later. James was an answer to prayer. In fact, if you want to do a deep dive in church history, it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it actually tells the story of James's martyrdom. In fact, James was turned in by another church member. And this guy turned James in and they had him tied to the stake where they're getting ready to behead him. And so moved with guilt and conviction, the man who turned James in, he looked at him and he said, forgive me. And James never lost his composure. He looked at the man and said, I forgive you. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And that man who turned him in at that moment gave his life to Jesus. They tied him to the stake and both James and that man holding hands were beheaded as they sang hymns to God. Don't feel sorry for James. James was living in an answer to prayer. So why does God answer prayers? I'll tell you why. It's very simple. Because he cares. That God cares. He cares about you. He loves you. He's a father who loves you like his own son and daughter. And he is always there for you. God answers prayers because he cares. You could go to him at any time, any season, any situation, any circumstance. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He will always be right there for you. Why does God answer prayers? Because God cares. He provides for us because he cares for us. Trust and believe that God is going to provide when you pray. Number four, what we notice next is this. is God's protection. Watch what happens. Okay, so Peter's out. He's at the prayer meeting. And then all of a sudden jumps right back to Herod. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the, the soldiers of what had come of Peter. So now they're trying to figure out what's going on. Where did Peter go? And Herod searched for him, but did not find him. He examined the centuries. Those are the soldiers. They couldn't find him. So he put him to death. He killed him. This shows how ruthless and wicked Herod was. Then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea to spend some time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him on one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and they asked for peace because in the country they depended on the kings for food. And on the appointed day, Herod put on all of his royal robes. So these people are asking for food. They're like, hey, we're in poverty. There's a famine. We have no food. King, you're the only one who can give us some food. So then they start, they start flattering him. They, they start telling him what he wants to hear. He puts on this robe. And then they, they, as, the, as he gave an oracle, he spoke out to them. And the people responded by shouting, this is the voice of God and not of man. And Herod received the praise and the glory Immediately, an angel of the Lord, maybe the same one that uh, struck Peter, helped him out. Now the opposite's happening. The Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. First we have an invisible apostle and now we have man eating worms. Don't ever let anybody tell you the Bible is boring. I told you, right? This story is so unbelievable. You got to believe in the Bible to be able to believe it. Can I get an interpreter for that? <laughs> How does the story start? It starts with the problem. How does the story end? God taking care of the problem. It, it starts with persecution, and then God brings a solution. First solution is he saves Saul, turns him into Paul, makes him a missionary. Second solution, he takes out Herod, just has him eaten by worms. But either way, God's got an answer to any problem that you face. Anything that you are going through, God has a solution for every problem that we face. But here's what I want you to see is that for the last 12 chapters, the church has been under persecution. We've seen God deal with Saul. Now we've seen God deal with Herod. This is the end of the persecution struggles in Jerusalem. 13 chapters until eventually their prayers were answered. Next week, the church is gonna go to the nations with the Antioch sending the first missionaries, which is gonna be incredible, but come back next week. For now, what I want you to know is this, is sometimes you have to go through 13 chapters of life until God gives an answer to your prayers. And some of you, you're so close to giving up and you're still in chapter two. There's a story being written in your life where God gets the glory and If you quit in chapter two, you'll never see chapter 12. If you get frustrated and give up in chapter three, you're never, get, you're never gonna get to where God gets the glory in your life. What I wanna encourage you with this is this, if it's not good, then God's not done yet. Like if you're in a situation where like it's not good, don't give up because God's not done. There is still a story to be written. There is still a miracle that is on its way. There is still opportunity for open doors in God to move. Don't quit in chapter 2 or chapter 4 or chapter 5. You hang on. You hold tight. You don't give up. You keep praying because the miracle is on its way. If it's not good, God's not done. If your, if your marriage is hanging on by a thread and the, the, the divorce word was said this week, listen, you're like, it's not good. It's not good. Don't quit praying for your spouse get on your knees and you get to these altars and you pray and you pray and you pray because if it's not good God's not done. If your kids are struggling in school don't quit. Don't give up on them. Keep praying. Keep praying for your kids and for their teacher and for the school system. If it's not good God's not done. And if you've got sickness in your body or in your mind or grief in your heart and your soul and you're like, how do I release this? You go to God in prayer. But don't quit before you reach the end of the story. Because there is a God who will give you peace, who will give you his presence, who will provide for you, who will protect you and ultimately this all culminates into God's plan how how does the the story end here's how the story ends it says but the word of God increased and multiplied What what is God's plan God's plan is always that the church would grow but that we would not grow at the expense of people but we'd grow through the power of prayer this is why the prayer meeting is, is so important because, because all across this room right now, I, I see it. I felt it all Sunday as I've been preaching every single service when I'm preaching on the subject of prayer and miracles and God moving and power. All of a sudden there's this, this anticipation in people's hearts that, that basically is just like, but will he do it for me? Like I could see hope building inside of you, but you're still too afraid to step out in faith. when we come to the prayer meeting, something happens when your faith builds my faith, when my faith is weak, and then your faith is strong and I can rely on you and your faith builds my faith. And all of a sudden, now there's faith in the room right now. Because we have the, the faith to believe, the faith to grow, the faith to change. And listen, guys, that's the beauty of the prayer meeting is that when mine's weak, I can borrow yours. And when my my prayers are quiet and yours are loud, we can still crescendo. That's the beauty of what happens when the church prays. And the result is that when we pray together, the church grows in ways we could never explain. God's plan for the church is for the church to grow, to reach more people with the message of life change, stories being told, baptisms, we, we wanna see lives being altered, destinies changed, marriages restored, addictions broken, depression lifted. Oh God, we wanna see revival. But that happens when we pray together. And the story of redemption is that after seven years it's been a journey for us. When Ashley and I started the church, I thought, man, the best way to grow a church is through good marketing, cool logo, slick design. But for the first three years, our church couldn't even get over like 100 people. We, we hit 100, we dip back down. We hit 100, we dip back down. We get to 120, we dip back down. And I was so frustrated because I was like, hey God, why are we not growing? Like, like in the first three years, we baptized a hundred people. I was like, where did they go? And one day I was praying, I was like, God, it was like right before COVID, I was like, God, I'm so frustrated, why? You, you called us here to plant redemption so we could see life change through Jesus. God, why is our church not growing? And I felt the Lord impress upon my heart clear today. He said, cause you, you, you're not praying church. So what do you mean? I'm not praying in church. Of course we pray. He's like, no, no, you, you pray because when you pray, you're asking me to bless your plans. You're not going to me asking me my plans so I could bless, you could walk in my blessings. And so if you could do this with your plans, could you imagine what you would experience whenever I begin to move through prayer for your church? And so we started in I believe it was august of 2019 our, our very first prayer meeting i just gathered church and said hey guys we we need to pray and so we're going to start a first wednesday prayer meeting and so we started praying on wednesday nights and the first prayer wednesday we had like 20 people and then the next one we had like 10 and then the next one where two or more gather together in my name there i am in the midst of you but we never gave up. We just kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And I'm telling you what God's done in our church since we started a prayer meeting to where we are at today, there's only one explanation and that's the church that prays. Because the first three years of our church, we baptized 100 people. Of the last three years, we have baptized 100 people every single year since we started the prayer meeting. We grew from 100 to last week was our second largest non-holiday attendance with over 655 people gathered together, worshiping Jesus. That's what happens when the church prays. We have fed uh, 500 families through Turkey Day giveaway every single year since we've started the prayer meeting. We have seen more salvations. We have seen more marriages and baby dedications than we ever have before for and the church keeps growing and I'm telling you it's not because I'm smart it's not because I'm gifted it's not because of our incredible amazing staff even though they are everything that I'm not it's not because of anything other than a church that has recognized that when we pray God shows up And so my question for you is if God can do this with 20 people over 3 years what could God do next with 600 people over the next 10 years when the church prays. Here's what I would tell you as we close. The church is only limited by the size of its prayers. What do you wanna see God do? It's not gonna happen by wishing for it. It's gonna happen when you pray for it and you trust and you believe that God will move an amazing way. So here's my close, my challenge. In God's providence, I don't pick what I preach. I just preach through the book. But this Wednesday is our first Wednesday prayer meeting. So what would it look like if you had the time and the ability to join us? What we always say here is there ain't no Wednesday like a first Wednesday, amen? No, what what I really encourage you to do is this. If you could only make it to one service, make it to prayer meeting. I've even told people, if you have to choose, I would rather you come to First Wednesday than church on Sunday. That's how important First Wednesday is for us. Because from it, everything flows. Without the prayer meeting, these are just words. Without the prayer meeting, it's just curriculum in the kids' church. Without the prayer meeting, they're just parking your car. But with the prayer meeting, it's, a, it's the presence of God from the parking lot to the pulpit. It's, 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 it's the power of God that transforms and changes lives. It's, it's the extending an invite to somebody and them saying yes. It's, it's so much more than anything we could do on our own because God showed up. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that prays. Anybody else?